I was talking to somebody once and he was saying, oh yeah, I do extreme sports. I'm like, all right, what? And he was like, oh, mountain biking and surfing. I'm like, that's not really extreme. <laughs> so I said, what you want to do is uh, fireball. What you do is you get like a leather football, cover it with petrol, set it on fire and just play football with it. <laughs> we, we did that in the circus. We used paraffin because pe- petrol's a bit dangerous. But we, we played football with a big ball of fire. That, that's an extreme sport. Because <laughs> my granny was quite uh, morbid. She used to love to go to murder trails. And she'd sit in the jury at uh, Newcastle Crown Court. And every day of the murder trail of Mary Bell, my granny went down and sat in the public gallery to watch this. And she used to tell me stories about all the murders and all that, and all the court cases oh, and stuff. Right. And uh, I've still got a murder scrapbook. She kept all the newspaper cuttings. How old were you then? Christ, I must have been ooh, about eight or nine. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Tony Hickson. Hello, Tony. Hello there, Dave. <laughs> or should I say the Dave? You can say the Dave. I don't mind that. Not, <laughs> not, not as many people know about the Dave as as I'd like. So uh, any opportunity to promote my yeah, uh, plug, solo yeah, yeah, yeah. music is uh, is great, um, and they can find that on uh, Facebook if they want to look for it. <laughs> yeah. The first question that I ask people is, how do you know me? Um, I can't remember. No, it's uh, through Spark London, a true storytelling night, and uh, you, you turned up once to record the sound, and then I ended up doing another another program. Sorry, a, a show of yours, which yeah. was Stand Up Tragedy, That's which right. which I believe is coming up again next year. That's right, that is coming up. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know when this will go out, so it might be next year, it might be this year. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so, I mean, I saw you do True Story Telling. Um, I think I, the first time I came across you, I heard you in the podcast, the Spark London podcast. Oh, right, I don't right, think yeah. I'd, uh, I'd met you at that stage. And then, uh, yeah, I introduced myself to you, I think, after one of the Spark things and, and got yeah. talking to you about stand-up tragedy, which I think you fitted in really well with, actually. I, yeah. I really enjoyed that. Uh, the, the kind of contrast of true stories with fiction and with music and stuff is really nice especially because when someone's telling a, a tragic story and it's a true story yeah. it uh it has an added kind of pathos doesn't it of the fact yeah, that the person's yeah. there yeah plus the thing is i didn't look at it as tragedy at the time i was just like oh this is a story and like people can't see it as tragedy or whatever but it's just some story about me in the circus and what i did there and actually looking back now i quite enjoyed me time yeah, Com- compared to what I'm doing now, because yeah. it just seems really boring now. Well, it's how you it's how you present the story, isn't it? Whether it becomes a comedy or a tragedy or yeah, a, or just yeah, a, yeah. a realistic story. And the other question that I ask everybody, which I, it sounds like you were getting around to that point, is what do you do now? What do I do now? That that's a good a good question. I I run a little printing business where I print T-shirts, which pays for the pays the, the well not it doesn't pay the rent anymore I'm changing into a, a massage therapist I've recently become qualified as a massage therapist okay and also on the side uh, I publish a, a magazine called Meat Plough which is the uh, the journal of transgressive poetry right issue number one went out in at the end of August Brilliant. 500 copies and it's still on me it's still in the house no actually I've, I've got rid of a load of copies and it's, it's had a good uh, reaction 
Okay, because so. I knew you were a poet. Yeah, that that's that's right. Uh, I mean, have you been writing poetry long? Well, I started when I was about sort of fifteen, sixteen, and then I, I gave up for years and years. And I started about two thousand and nine. I got back into it again, and I've performed in London. And when I was in Edinburgh, I won the uh, the Golden Gun Award in two thousand and ten. So that was last year, and uh, yeah, I keep doing the poetry and now that I've got my little magazine that's taken up quite a bit of time because I put other people's poetry in as well and various things and what's transgressive poetry mean? I don't know, I just wanted to have poetry that wasn't specifically because the problem with poetry now is it's all a bit twee, you know what I mean, it's just a bit boring, that's why a lot of people aren't interested in poetry like when I write a poem, what I do is I go and edit it, I take out all the words that are unnecessary, all the flowery language, too many long words, isn't good, doesn't make a good piece of spoken word poetry, so I like to have poetry that's quite raw and almost as if it's not finished or hasn't been done properly or it's written badly, or but it gets a message across and it's the message that that's important. Yeah, sure. I mean, are you influenced by punk and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, the style of the magazine is a fanzine and I printed it myself. And I ended up buying my own printer because I was trying to get other people to do it and they couldn't understand where I wanted. So I just bought a printer. It's the A3, which falls in half to A4, so it's a nice size for a fanzine. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, it's called Meat Plough. It is a good name. (laughs) And, I mean... You've done so many things that it's really hard to know where to start uh, Start in terms of, of questioning or talking to you about them. I mean, I guess, like, the first thing I know that you... The first thing I came across you having been is, is a paparazzi yeah, reporter. Yeah. I mean, I did or that... photographer, I should say. Yeah, I did that about, sort of, 2008 or nine. I just did it for one year. In the in the one year, I took about forty five thousand photographs, because it was digital. You just keep your finger on the button and hope hope for the best. Yeah. So I, I yeah did loads of photographs, but I got bored with it. And the problem is the money isn't really there because there's so many people doing paparazzi now that you, you you make a little bit of money here and there. And then most people get disillusioned and then go off and do something else. And were you a trained photographer when you started? Yeah, originally when I was 16, I went to college and did like O-level photography, then A-level, and then I worked in a high street photographers doing like wedding photography and all that boring stuff, mm. portraits of pets and stuff. And it's quite interesting because it was in a really rough part of Newcastle, so every Monday morning you get people who coming in who'd been in a fight at the weekend and they needed a photograph to do like a criminal injury like claim. So the solicitors would send them to us and there'd be people who were like that that had, had the ear bitten off. I remember this guy once he'd had his ear bitten off in a fight and I had to take his photograph of what was left of his ear so he could sue somebody else. And that was sort of quite interesting, although yeah. the people were like a bit rough. Yeah, well it sounds in- really interesting. I mean so you, you- and you, so you went straight into being a photographer. Yeah, yeah. Really. I, I mean, the, the problem is though, I had this idea that I'd be working in some advertising agency because that's where the money was. Doing the high street photography was just like it was a bit boring, to be honest. But I really wanted to do like uh, police photography. But at the time, to do like crime scene photography, you needed a degree, and I just didn't have the patience to do a what three year degree. All right. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I mean, and that. And that kind of that interest in uh, in, in in doing crime scene and yeah. stuff. I mean, that kind of ties in with your 
uh, transgressive poetry and stuff, I guess. You seem to be a man who's interested in the macabre. Yeah. I, I guess. I mean, I that's, mean, sorry, that's a long word. That's <laughs> good, yeah. But, but I liked anything that was a bit different. Say, recently, I've got involved with this artist called Charlie Tuesday Gates, who does taxidermy, and she's putting an exhibition on at the end of the month, October, and I'm helping her with the exhibition, but I'd also like to learn taxidermy, which, if you live in Newcastle, you can't learn it anywhere. There's not many people teach it, but uh, she teaches classes. And yeah. I've always been interested in like that sort of weird stuff, not normal taxidermy. There's a thing called anthropo anthropomorphic or anthropologic. It's where you make animals look like humans. You dress them in little coats yeah. and stuff. <laughs> weird, the weird taxidermy, you wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of it's twisted taxidermy. That. Yeah. I mean, do you, when did you get into weird stuff? I don't know. I suppose it was when I was growing up, really. I mean, um, I used to like to watch horror movies when I was younger. Mm. And my granny, on a, I used to stay at hers on a Saturday night and she used to let, let us watch horror movies if they were on, which probably warped my mind. And I've always been interested in jokes, and like practical jokes, and I used to love going to the joke shop on a Saturday afternoon. Mm. And she, what she would do is my granny would buy us you know, like some plastic flies or stupid things like that, and I was obsessed with like that, and magic tricks. I think the first uh, job I wanted to do when I left school was, I had this idea I would be a magician. When I was like 12 year old, I wanted to be like Paul Daniels, who was my hero incidentally at the time. I mean, looking back now, it's like Paul Daniels, oh my Lord. Yeah, but when you're a kid, you kind of connect with more broader yeah. broader strokes, don't you? And then as you get older, you probably refine yeah. it. So from Paul Daniels, I went to Gary Newman, because when, sure. when I heard synthesizer music, I was like, that's what I want to do, synths. So, yeah, I mean, you, it, it's, I mean, one of the things that seems to me about you is you've, you're a man that tries lots of different professions. Yeah, I, I'm one of them people, I get bored with something, I'll do something for a while and then the novelty will wear off. Yeah. I think the longest I've ever had a job was like one year right. in a shop. But in the circus I used to work like for six months at a time, so that was over a period of four years. So the circus was quite interesting, but then again the novelty wears off so the closest thing you've got to a consistent career is working in the circus yeah <laughs> if you can call it working in the circus a career you know yeah well I mean I was you know I thought it was a funny funny word to use <laughs> the <laughs> so I mean but you so right so you left um, college and you went to be a photographer and yeah. then you became a paparazzi photographer yeah um, I mean that word the word paparazzi these days is kind of it's not very well looked upon by people. When they hear the word paparazzi, they, they don't think very highly of the, of the people who do it. I mean, what do you think about all of that? Yeah, I, I mean, um, it, it's quite strange, but uh, at, at the time, once you get into that mindset, and people get paid good money if you get an exclusive photograph, they'll just do anything. But I quite enjoyed the idea that I was like taking part in something that... If I'd lived in Newcastle, you couldn't be a paparazzi because there's no famous people. Mm-hmm. Whereas in London, in a, the, the London paparazzis are famous throughout the world for being the most sort of like full on, they'll do anything to yeah, get a photograph. Yeah, yeah. So it was interesting being in that group of people. And it, I mean, like, when I was doing this, like, the two main people to photograph were like Amy Winehouse and Pete Doherty. Yeah. Because every day they would be in the London Light newspaper or the other, the London newspaper. Well, you could just walk around Camden and see them at that time. I know, but like Amy Winehouse always had about 30 paps. Wherever she went, they were just following her because they knew 
they could sell a photograph. That's why at the time I didn't really bother with her. I, I tried to get Pete because his girlfriend was Kate Moss at the time. Sure. And I photographed them actually just out the back ones, the best photograph I ever took of Kate Moss, actually the only one, because I got a full length. And like for magazines, they like full length photographs so you can see the shoes she's wearing so they can bitch them off. All right, okay. I mean, and so I can understand it was fun. Yeah. Uh, and kind of an adventure and stuff. What about the, do you, do you, what's your, your take on the, the morality of, 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 of chasing people around all the time and taking pictures of them wherever they go? I don't know, because I suppose you have to draw lines somewhere. But at the same time, people need photographs and like people read these magazines. I mean, if you could take a photograph of, uh, what is it, Kate Middleton or whatever she's name? Sure, yeah. yeah. She's, she, well, she's just, re- just recently been photographed topless, hasn't she, yeah. by a French newspaper? I mean, that, that photograph is a 60,000, 70,000 quid photograph. If you could take one photograph in a year, get paid 70 grand I'm sure that you know all your morals would slowly disappear yeah I guess so I mean I don't agree with hounding people but at the same time if I could get 70 grand I'd be like yeah a little bit of hounding goes a long way well yeah well it's it's kind of like a modern day treasure isn't it if you get that that shot that's that's like a lottery ticket yeah I can understand that I guess and what what the paparazzis do he's a proper paparazzi he'll plan I don't know who, who he is but people like that, the plan, a photograph six months ahead of taking it and they'll, they'll go to an area and look round, find places to hide quick uh, escape routes and they'll make false identities and they'll do all this all the planning goes into getting that one photograph because they know that's like a year's money Well, yeah. whereas chasing people around the streets like what I did in London, it's just like pot luck you know, you might get somebody famous like Simon Cowley, you might get Keith Chegwin, it's it's the look of the draw. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, did you do all that kind of... I guess you, you didn't do doorstepping as such, did you? Or? No, we, we, I used to go to, like, um, like nightclubs or the Ivy, which was a popular... Well, that's where they all go. That's like, yeah. you know you're going to get them if you go there. Sooner or later, they'll turn up there, or premieres are coming out of television studios. So, I mean, I did take a lot of photographs, but a lot of people were, like, uh, transient B-list stars who are, like... You wouldn't remember the name now, you know. Yeah. Reality TV. But that shows. week they mattered. Yeah. Is it one week, Christopher Biggins, because he won some in the jungle, some celebrity crap. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So you had to get him, and then the next week he was as worthless as he's ever yeah, been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor old Christopher Biggins. I know, poor Chris. Um, so you gave up being paparazzi because, what, you were yeah. bored? Or? I don't know. It was, it, 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 I sort of stopped for a while because I was doing something else I can't remember what it was and I thought I'll go back next month and then next month never happened you know but occasionally I'll, if there's somebody worthy like Pete Doherty I'll go and photograph him just for my own personal enjoyment you know so you still keep your hand in yeah I think Pete Doherty because what, what happened was when Amy Winehouse died I thought oh I wish I'd taken more photographs of Amy Winehouse when she died and then I got thinking I thought Ooh, who's next? That's why I'm so trying think, to build you, up a little think, library. It's like, like it's not like Pete Doherty's like your kind of like I don't know, not not, not nemesis, but like your 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 white way or that you're you're chasing. That. Yeah, well, the thing is, I was reading about him on the internet. He was born in Hexham, and I was like, oh, that's in Northumberland. So he's only like he was born like twenty miles from Newcastle, and he when he was sixteen, he won a poetry contest because he writes poetry. Yeah, I think he's. 
Right, good poetry. Yeah. His lyrics are often good. And actually, because I'd, I'd seen the person before I actually listened to the music, and I thought, oh, but his music's shit because he's been hyped up and hyped up. Yeah. And actually, when I listened to it, I was like, oh, actually, I quite. I actually had a similar feeling about Peter. Uh, like, until I listened, I was like, I, I'm definitely going to hate that guy. Definitely going to hate that guy. And then I heard it. I was like, actually, yeah, it's, it's right. quite, Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so that 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 had put us off for ages and ages. So yeah. So you're still taking pictures of him, but he's, yeah, less, he's less relevant now. You know, you're not going to get so much money for him. I know, but I, I think he's an interesting character. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, he is. I mean, there's, I mean, like people who chase Lady Gaga, and I just can't be asked because she's one of them people that's just, you know, showing off for the sake of it. And you just think, oh God, I'd rather photograph somebody who's a interesting person. Well, Lady Gaga's got her shit together a little bit more as well. Like, she, yeah. if, if you take a picture of Lady Gaga, she probably wants you to take a picture of her, whereas yeah, Pete, yeah. Pete Doherty is like, like, like to kind of stumble out in some heroin-induced <laughs> uh, miasma. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what happened after you were a paparazzi? What did you do then? Um, I'm trying to think. I, I just got into printing T-shirts and that, and that was... I mean, that's quite boring in itself. I just did odd jobs here and there, and... That's about it. Yeah, I was a dispatch rider for a while, but I think that was before the paparazzi. And so when, when did the circus happen? The circus was from about 1998 to about 2002-ish. Right. But I'd, I'd been an actor after I'd left the circus, I became an actor. OK. And then uh, I, I did little shows here and there, and I've done like a few horror films and stuff. And... Uh, I was on East End as one. <laughs> I was in uh, Baker Grove. Well, yeah, you've got the, you, you, that's, that's an easy gig for you to get. I know. I was like, yeah, anybody that can stand up long enough can be in Baker Grove. <laughs> and I was like, I played a Maymore, just funnily enough, and uh, so that was quite good. Eh? And I had to teach the cast how to do balloon modelling and some mime for a scene. So that was interesting. Because you know all of that stuff, don't you? You've well, kind of taken an interest in that. Funnily enough, they said, uh, can you do balloon modelling? And of course I said, oh yeah, which I couldn't do it. So, And they said, oh, can you teach the cast? And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. And I says, oh, I'll give you like 200 quid. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. And then I had to go out and buy a book and teach myself. <laughs> <laughs> so that was quite interesting. I looked I looked on you. Was it, I don't know if YouTube was around at the time, but I looked on the internet and I've got some tips. So I showed them how to make a giraffe. <laughs> And you, so, okay, so you, let's, let's do the circus, so you, why did you join the circus in the first place? I'd always wanted to uh, join the circus, one of the many things I'd wanted to do, when I was 16 I, w- I wanted to be a clown for some reason, I was interested in that, the whole theatrical side of things, yeah. and magic and escapology and all that, so in about 96 I, I joined the Zippo Circus School, yeah, you're wearing their T-shirt today. Yeah, yeah. Circus, yeah. And I, I joined their circus school. I trained to be a trapeze artist. And then, because once I learned to do trapeze, I wasn't really interested in clowning, although I did some clowning. And then I did, like, fire-eating and knife-throwing. I, I, I learned to do whip-cracking as well, but I never really performed that as an act. But, yeah, I did fire-eating, which was quite interesting. And um, I'm trying to think. Uh, at the time, there was some bloke had the... Guinness World Record for uh, lying on a bed of nails, which was 72 hours. And I wrote to the Guinness Book of Records, you know, I'd like to try and beat that, but they'd already closed that that record and that, which was a bit of a shame, because I reckoned I could have could have beat that. <laughs> so is that, I didn't even know that the Guinness Book of Records closed their records. So yeah. How, that, that's, that kind of... 
doesn't seem very valid the, the Guinness Book of Records anymore if they're stopping at a certain point and saying yeah, no we're not yeah, having yeah. any more entries yeah because they said the Sororita says let us in our work we're not um, we're not doing any more records where the amount of time is, is the record has to have a level of skill involved not just like sitting up a flagpole for 200 days or whatever lying on a bed of nails I'm like well it does have a, a, an element of skill but then, then I tried to break the. I, I wrote to them saying, oh, I'd like to do the fire eating record. Because uh, some woman, it was like, she swallowed 1,495 torches in two hours or something. Yeah. And then th- they said, oh, that one's closed as well. And I'm like, well, you know. Yeah. Other- otherwise, I would have been in the Guinness Book of Records. Yeah, well, it kind of fits with your kind of, uh, your kind of collage of strange um, that, you, you, that you, your life seems to be made up of. So you, you went. So you joined the circus, yeah, yeah, and you did that first. Like, like who, who did you meet in the circus? What was it like in the circus? It was quite interesting because a lot of the, a lot lots of the people have had different careers. One of the clowns, which was called Plummy, he had been a professional wrestler in the nineteen seventies, and he'd worked with Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks and all that sort of thing. Right. And wrestling, something that's always interested me. Funnily enough, there's a wrestling club in, in East London which I keep meaning to go to because they do like Mexican wrestling and I wouldn't, oh, cool. I wouldn't mind learning that because that, that, that would be quite good but it's on my list of things to do you know what I mean, I'll yeah. get around to it eventually and then I met somebody who was, who'd been in the army, he'd been in the, the SAS or something and he was training to be a stuntman and he, he was at the circus so he could get an equity card and he, he would tell all these different stories about things he'd done and lots of the people had been actors or various sort of performers it's quite interesting because you just met the sort of people that you would never ever meet in normal life yeah sure because everybody was a character you know what i mean they yeah could talk and tell you all these stories for hours and hours and that was one of the best things you could because people had portable televisions but you didn't really watch them when you could talk to somebody who was really really interesting who'd done all these interesting things and met so many different people yeah sure so that, that was that was that was good, that side of it. Yeah. I know that from your story that at Stand Up Tragedy that one of the things that happened when you were in the circus was that there was a kind of accident. Oh, yeah, yeah. What happened was is when I left Zippo's circus, I joined another circus called the Foolhardy Folk Circus. <laughs> and we toured around for six months in Norfolk. And one night during this knife-throwing act, one of the clowns, Joe Fool, had to stand at the knife-throwing board and I would throw knives round him and one night I wasn't concentrating and I threw the knife and it hit him in the shoulder and it was oh, it was really bad because that night there was about 200 people in the show because it was in Norwich <laughs> and that was like uh, it was Earlham Park and it was packed that night I mean the week before we'd been in somewhere called Emneth and we'd had about 10 people in the audience and obviously that, that night it went perfectly but the night in uh, Norwich I hit him in the shoulder and there was 200 people in the audience and one of the people in the audience was a knife thrower from another circus oh no who was, who was so you were humiliated in front of your peers it's just that it was like the worst possible <laughs> time that could ever happen but I mean accidents do happen and I think I did like in the six months I did about 350 shows and it only went went wrong once so but he needed uh, six stitches oh, in his no. shoulder. Yeah, it missed his main artery in his shoulder by about a quarter of an inch. Well, at least he, you know, at least he's alive. I mean, 
Yeah. Would you have been like done for manslaughter if you'd have died? Is that how it would have worked? I'd have or? been in so much trouble because you're, you're supposed to have insurance. <laughs> didn't have any insurance because the thing is, if you phone a company up and say, oh yeah, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a knife thrower. You know what I mean? There's only one company in, in England that insures people. And I, I can't remember how much it was, but it was too It'd expensive. Be a lot of money, yeah. Actually, I didn't even bother with insurance. I'm like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, the thing is, normally you only insured for the audience, like, um, public liability do, it doesn't insure other performers because they're supposed to have their own insurance as well yeah well, was, it, was it your fault was it his, his fault I mean, that I was my know, fault. it was definitely my fault because I just wasn't concentrating you know sometimes you when you work like, it's like when you drive a car sometimes you arrive somewhere and you, you can't remember how you got there your head spaces out for a minute yeah I yeah. mean when, you, when you're driving or throwing knives you shouldn't really have that yeah yeah sure but yeah sometimes it happens yeah no, I mean you know you, 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 it sounds like you had you know good good stats at least. But was it is that one that one off time when you you did actually like throw the knife into someone? That isn't that on YouTube or something? It but is. I, yeah, say, I thought you yeah, shared it once. Oh I think. God, yeah, I did. Yeah, because the boss put it on YouTube recently. Actually, he didn't do it at the time. He was trying to sell it to some television show, but he well, wanted. You've been framed or something. Yeah, like that. he wanted like a thousand quid, and nobody would pay it. You know. So now it's on YouTube, so... Are you happy about that? Or? Yeah, I'm not that bothered, actually, because you can't really find it, because he's, he's put a really duff, a duff sort of, like, a title in, like, knife incident at such and such yeah, circus, right, yeah, yeah. rather than watch watch the knife throw a stab a clown, which yeah, would, be, would, would get the hits. That would get all the hits, that's true. I mean, so, like, was that second circus a bit different from the first circus experience? Yeah, or? it was smaller, because there was only ten performers in the second circus actually probably less than that there was about 8 performers in the first circus Zippo's there was about 60 people so the smaller circus is nicer because it's more intimate you know what I mean yeah. and we went to little villages rather than big towns which in Norfolk in the summer was lovely so I stayed with them for a few years but they started touring less and less because they had grants from the local arts council to go all over to these little villages and yeah. the arts council just cut all the grants so they were only going to tour for six weeks of the year, which is like, it's not really worth it, you know? Yeah. So. And so you left. Why did you leave the circus? I, th- I think partly because I was I was becoming bored with it, you know? I was just like, when you're there, you get that feeling that you want to be somewhere else. And that's not a good feeling to have when you're in a job, you know? It's like, I need to be somewhere else. You're not sure where somewhere else is, but that's the time to move on, isn't it? Yeah, sure. The other thing I know that you did is you, you have you you've been in Dungerning, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Actually, when when I was with Zippo's Circus, we were in Rochester, and they were having a Gurning contest, and I entered. I thought, oh, you see what I do? There was only about six people entered, and I won, and I won twenty five quid, and I became the South East England Gurning champion. <laughs> so, and then that fired me up. So when I when I did leave the circus, I went up to the. They have the World Gurning Championships in uh, Egremont in the Lake District. Right. And they've had this championship since 1215, which uh, King Henry decreed that it would be a special fair, and that's when it started. So I entered one year. There was only about 12 people the first year I entered, and then uh, I came about ninth out of 12. But normally the local people win it because they've been doing it for years. And, I mean, they were good. And one of the women in the women's contest, she'd won it for something like 10, 15 years in a row. So 
that was the first time I went and then the next time I went I, uh, I went with with a film crew and made a documentary about it very cool called The Gurning <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah that, that was quite interesting because I interviewed people and talked about Gurning and what it meant and I was coming from this angle that you know why would you get up in front of an audience and make a fool of yourself is there some kind of deep psychological need to show off but at the same time you're asking people to laugh at yourself and they, all these gurners would just look at us and say, well, you've just got to pull a funny face. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at it from some kind of weird Freudian sort of like angle and they were like, no, I'll just pull a funny face. Yeah, that's what, that's interesting that they, that they like, you know, that would be my instinct as well. Like, why, why do these people make themselves, stand up on stage and make themselves look as ridiculous as possible? Yeah, and it's interesting because one, one of the guys... He, he died a few years back. He, he had all his teeth removed because he was about forty, but he had his own teeth. But he had them all removed so he could he could do better guns. See, there's something weird there. False, that's definitely weird to like false teeth fitted just to just so you could gurn. To be that committed, that's something weird. Because it's weird. Because it's it's almost because this is a very small town. Nothing really happens throughout the year. It's a country town. Right. And then for this one week of the year, everything just goes mental. And there's loads of rivalries from like local families who've been there hundreds and hundreds of years, and like people from different villages come in, and it's almost—it was like a bear pit at this um, at this festival, and like when the people were on stage, they were screaming and jumping up and down, yeah. and these gurners, and it was like crazy. And then when it's all over, everybody just goes home, and it's normal again till the next year. It's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet. I mean, and I guess another thing I know that you do is. Uh, puppet puppet stuff is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always been interested in puppets as well, and um, um, I made this puppet film a few years ago, and I built all the puppets myself. It was based on the Mary Bell uh, murder That's story right. is from the sixties. Yeah, it's a puppet film about mass murder. Nash only killed two or three. All oh, right, okay, a serial killer. But um, <laughs> Mary Bell was like uh, eleven years old, and she was the youngest ever murderer in the UK. Yes. I, Oh, I didn't time. realise she was 11 from when I watched it. I thought yeah, it made it even yeah. more interesting and weird. Yeah, it was in, nine, I think it was 1968, she was 11 years old. And um, it's quite interesting because my granny was quite uh, morbid. She used to love to go to murder trials. And she'd sit in the jury at uh, Newcastle Crown Court. And every day of the murder trial of Mary Bell, my granny went down and sat in the public gallery to watch this. And she used to tell me stories about all the murders and all that and all the court cases oh, and stuff. Right. And uh, I've still got a murder scrapbook. She kept all the newspaper cuttings. How old were you then? Christ, I must have been ooh about eight or nine. Well, there, there's where the, where's the, that's where the attraction to weird things comes from. Yeah, actually, and so she would tell me the, the all these murder stories and that. And then there uh, would what would happen is when I stayed at hers on a on a weekend. On a Saturday, we'd, we'd go to a walk, for a walk to the joke shop, and on the way back, there was a shortcut through the graveyard. So oh, wow. And I said, oh, can I go to the graveyard, please? Cause I, used to, I, I, was, I like graveyards, yeah. And, uh, quite interesting, so that's probably where all that weirdness comes from. But, uh, yeah, I made this puppet film, and not everybody liked it, but, you know... I think it's, I think it's pretty good. It's, it's weird, but it's very good. I know it's because some people are saying, "Oh, you should leave the past alone and that." And I was, I was, I just took it as a basis for a story. And it that. was years and years and years and years ago that that uh, event of those murders. Yeah, no, but people are like, oh. "Well, I, well, it, that's interesting that people had that reaction." I mean, there's 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 films of about with serial killers. There's 
everywhere, you know. Lack, and, and your thing actually, it's, it makes it a bit different because it's puppets and because it's yeah. kind of a strange kind of take on it. It does kind of make you think about it a bit more than some of the kind of Hollywood versions of serial and killers. What happened was uh, it was in the local newspapers and that, and Mary Bell's solicitor phoned us up and she was like, she just ranted and raved down the phone for about 10 minutes saying how I, I shouldn't have made this film and how I was a, a bad person and this, that, and that. I'm like, hold on a minute, your client killed three, two or three people and you're telling me I'm a bad person. Well, how old f- is Mary Bell now? I don't know. She must be in her 50s now. And she did the murders when she was 11? Yeah, yeah. What was her objection to the film? She, she, she didn't like the idea. And I'm like, well, you've not seen it. I guess it is kind of... Enjoying murder, isn't it? I think it's because <laughs> people people don't like puppets because they think it's making light of it. But it's like, no, it's actually. It's, if I'd used actors, it would have been shit. Would it have just been that any old thing? Wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Actors. Were you brought up by your gran, or did you go and visit her sometimes? No, we used to just uh, go stay at the weekends. Me and my sister, because um, my mother used to work away at sometimes at weekends or. But we went down to my granny. She didn't live very far away, so that that was quite nice. So, yeah, my granny used to take with into the town on a Saturday afternoon by with toys and stuff. And yeah. So yeah, it was quite interesting. Because the thing is, with grandparents, you can get away with more. You know, it's, oh, can we have some sweets? And she'd yeah. just let us eat as much sweets as we wanted. Sure. Obviously, my mother wouldn't do that. She'd be like, oh no, it'll spoil your dinner. But well, that's kind of the job of grandparents. Yeah. Or yeah. uncles, I like to think, because yeah. I'm an uncle. Um, I mean, so like, so you ca- and you, so you were, you grew up in Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. Which is a city I know a little bit about because my oh. brother lives there, but uh, oh, uh, but I not I don't know it that well. I mean, I've been there, I've been out in the town there, and I've I've, I've seen you know, I've experienced Newcastle on a <laughs> on a Friday and Saturday night. Yeah. Uh, and um, I mean, and I I used to live up in. Uh, Lancaster as well, so oh. I'm, I, I mean I know that's nowhere near that's nowhere near as far as Newcastle, but yeah, I, yeah. I have a f- slight affinity, I guess, with the north. I've lived there. Yeah. Um, I mean, so you, you you what was growing like? So you grew up in was it? Is it just was it just your mum then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. because me dad because they were divorced when we were young. Yeah, I can't remember how old I was, but me me dad lived in Whitley Bay, which is a seaside. Sure, town. New York. It's ten. No, it's, it's oh, 10 no, miles no, no, it's from. near Newcastle. Yeah. That's You're thinking of Whitby. I'm yeah. thinking of Whitby, I am. But when I was growing up in Newcastle, when Isn't I was... Whitley, is Whitley... Is Whitley where Dracula came? No, it's Whitby. That is Whitby, OK. They, they have the Whitby Goth weekend, which I've been to a few times, because I used to be a goth. <laughs> but that's that was when I was younger. Yeah, well, maybe we'll come back to the goth, but sorry to interrupt <laughs> you. So you were saying, uh, so your dad was, lives in, lived in Whitley? Yeah, Whitley B, yeah. So we would sometimes visit him and that, but... Um, yeah, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think. I was a goth when I was growing up in Newcastle when I first got into music and that, so that was quite interesting because when I went out drinking in Newcastle, I went to the goth places because yeah. the main city centre is just f- crazy. So, yeah, and then uh, I'm trying to think what else. Um, I can't really remember growing up in the 1980s. It was weird. I guess so, yeah. I mean, I, I was born in 81, so I I had the 90s, you know. Oh, it, might God, have been, yeah. it might have been weird in the 80s, but it was crap in the 90s. I mean, most of it, like Britpop and all that, like, where's the where's the uh, transgression in that, you know? I mean, I know there was grunge, and I, I, I was into the weird yeah, bands, don't get me wrong, yeah. but... It, it's funny, because everybody wants to be born at a different time. I mean, I wouldn't have mean being born a bit, bit earlier, because... 
I remember in 1977, it was like that long hot summer, and um, that's when I first heard like punk on people's, people played on tape recorders, and, the, and it was interesting. But because we were in Newcastle, we were so far away from that, and I was too young, I, I must have been about 11 or 12, because could, you couldn't go and see bands when you were that age, and you yeah. didn't have any money to buy records, so you'd get everything second hand. But, but it was interesting, because the first punk single I heard was uh, 999, and it was uh, called Emergency, this punk band. And then I heard like the Sex Pistols later on. But I never got to see any cool punk bands until like years later when they were touring. Yeah, when they're a bit past it. Yeah, I mean, I seen Gary Newman in the uh, 1984. That I think was the first band I ever seen. Well, that's a pretty good first band. <laughs> I mean, this will tell you something. Look, my the first band I saw uh, on my own was the little known, probably now, hopefully little known now, uh, indie band Dodgy. Dodgy. Right? Exactly. I know the don't name. Even, they did a. I think they did a single called "Good Enough" or something. They're terrible. They're just they were terrible. I mean, uh, but I did see Skunk and Nancy. That was my second. Oh. Skunk and Nancy were fucking brilliant. Uh, and that 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 was a weird like they were a weird band and it was a really great. I, I, every so really often, I, bu- I bump into the guitarist. I don't know Did what her name yeah. And then uh, I was at a psychic TV gig, and we I was my friend was filming some band that were on with psychic TV, and I was talking to the, the guitarist from Skunk and Nancy, and she said she was on stage once and she'd taken loads of acid, and she'd seen a hole in front of her and she fell down this hole because she thought it was in imagination, but it was a real hole and she fell in the hole of the stage. <laughs> I'm like, there was a hole in the stage. Wow. And then I bumped into her sometime again. I told her this story. She went, yeah, I remember you. That's my skunk and auntie story. Yeah, well, I mean, that was like one of the best, that was like probably the best live gig of my life, I, I think, skunk and auntie. Yeah. Like, they, like, skin was amazing on stage. She was like climbing up onto the top of the speakers, yeah. and like, there was everyone was crowd surfing, and it was just a really in- intense, brilliant uh, performance. Yeah. I, I used to be a volunteer at this music project in Newcastle, and it was called uh, Riverside, and they used to have really cool bands on. And what you would do is, if you worked as a volunteer, one night, you know, the cloak room or whatever, they would let you see a band the next night. Yeah. And I did that once. And me, me mate's band was on the next week, so I went to see his band. It was called Surf City Rockers. But some of the bands that were on that week, there was Nirvana were on that week, and this was uh, this was like 1986. I was like really early, so they were unknown. Nobody'd heard of them then, and it was like the first UK tour, and I could have seen them. But I seen my mate's band, Surf City Rockers. <laughs> And it was like, well, because it was me mate, and I'm yeah. like, well, that's a pretty, uh, yeah. Look, it, looking back, it, it's a it's a bit of a missed opportunity, but you didn't know. Yeah, no, I mean, there's loads of good bands on at the time. There's like the Telescopes, and they could all them sort of like late '80s and like, but I ended up seeing like crap bands. Like, I mean, I seen Desmond Decker. He was all right, and what else? Dread Zeppelin. Yeah, pure. <laughs> I seen uh, Frank Sidebottom about five times. Oh, Frank, Frank Sidebottom's an interesting, interesting uh, idea. I seen he, I seen him with his head off once, and he, 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 you know them 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 things that you wear on you know synchronized swimmers wear on the nose. That's what he used to wear on his nose to make his nose go. Yeah, because he he passed away recently. Yeah, I seen him with his head off. It was in a lift in Old Trafford in the the stadium. I was doing a gig there, or something, and he was there for some reason. Yeah. And I mean, so like, what what was what do you think about? Like, I mean, so you, you left Newcastle. Yeah. How do you feel about your hometown? 
I quite enjoy going back, but I couldn't really live there because there's nothing really there. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a bit more there now. It's the, it was the cultural capital. It was the capital, whatever the, the yeah, thing they give people. Yeah. It did mean that they opened a load of new things, though, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's good if you live there, but to be honest, it's like once you've lived in London, there's so much stuff in London. You can do anything in London, whereas in Newcastle, everything. It's if you want to learn anything, you, or if you want any sort of job, you've got to come to London. You know. Yeah. I mean, some of the strange things I've done in in like London, I could have never done in Newcastle. Like I joined the South East London Paranormal Research Group in uh, 1992, and went went to stay in loads of haunted houses, and met loads of people who'd written books about UFOs and all, met all sorts of weird, crazy people. Crazy. Couldn't have done that in Newcastle. No, no, no. What, what else? What else have you done like that? I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think. There's like just loads of like, strange things that you could never do elsewhere. Like being a paparazzi, you couldn't yeah, do that yeah, in Newcastle. Yeah. But yeah, when I was in in the South East London Paranormal Research Group, we um, we stayed in some haunted houses. I'd never actually seen anything paranormal or anything. But one of the blokes I met, he was called God, I can't remember his name now. But he's written about 130 books about UFOs, mm. and had this big convention where loads of people from America came over and gave lectures. And I met some bloke called Doctor Sprinkler. That's right. his real name, and he was he was a UFO researcher. And he was telling this story about one of his friends got abducted by aliens, and it was it was just a bit like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but like, when people tell you these crazy stories, you, you wouldn't get that in Newcastle. Although, I did work for a newspaper in Newcastle called the Tyne Life for about what was it two months at a work placement, and I had a, I was a photographer at the time, and I wanted to get into press photography. Yeah. So I did this work placement. And like every so often, they'd send us to take a photograph of somebody who would tell tell us this crazy story. And one of the guys I remember, he was mental. He said that um, he, I can't remember what the story was. He said he had a, pre- a pet breeze block, and uh, he, sh- he showed us this breeze block, and it had a dog collar on. And he put a dog lead on it, and he dragged it up the corridor. And he says, "Yeah, I take it out for walks every night." He says, "It's just had puppies." And he, he opened the cupboard under his stairs, and there was a dog basket with a load of bricks in. Jesus! And it's just like, wow. I mean, you sort of sort you, you sort of seek out weird people, yeah. Well, to be honest, it's like more interesting than just you know, like you know, average sort of like. I, I, I mean, I don't know, like, some people have, like, normal lives, but I, I say, do you want to have a normal life where you work in an office and go out at the weekend, you, you play golf or yeah, something weird? I don't, I don't want that. I was talking to somebody once, and he was saying, oh, yeah, I do extreme sports. I'm like, all right, what? And he was like, oh, mountain biking and surfing. I'm like, that's not really extreme. <laughs> so I say, what you want to do is, uh, I'm trying to, I can't think of any, fireball. What you do is you get, like, a leather football, cover it with petrol, set it on fire and just play football with it. <laughs> we, we did that in the circus, we used paraffin, because pe- petrol's a bit dangerous. But we, we played football with a big ball of fire, that, that's an extreme sport. <laughs> Same as like um, street luge. It's, you know, it's that, that's quite interesting, you use like a big, like a long skateboard and you just, on the streets. Yeah. Or extreme ironing. That's not really a sport. It's more like a weird pastime. Yeah. No, that is, that's that's a good uh, that's a good point. I've heard, I've known people say uh, say that they're into extreme sports, and uh, they've not seem very extreme at all when they said. Yeah. 
Um, I should explain that because we're in the uh, we're in the Royal Festival Hall, and so that's why people may be able to hear people in the background yeah. talking. I'm trying to think what else. Let me tell you, I've, tell, I've just been over some person here. Quite an unsuccessful one, I must admit. <laughs> unsuccessful. Because I didn't do that many gigs. Yeah. Okay. So you were. You were. Why did. Why did you decide to become an Elvis impersonator? Because you don't. You don't look like Elvis, if I may say. That's quite. That, that's quite right. But what. What happened was I was in the circus and um, I was thinking about an act I could do when I left the circus, and I remember there was a drag queen in the early late eighties called Dead Marilyn who did a Marilyn Monroe impersonation as after she was dead. Right. And I thought that's a good idea, so I, I changed it to Elvis. So I. I I got dressed up in the Elvis costume, put latex on my face with like plastic flies, and and then I, I did a gig. It was for Channel Five Television. I, I managed to publicise myself to such an extent <laughs> that I, I blagged the gig for Channel Five, and I told them I'd, I'd done this gig loads and loads of times, and I'd never, I'd never actually done it before. I just thought I could do it, and the first time I ever did it was on stage, and it was really, really shit. <laughs> probably because I hadn't rehearsed and I couldn't sing that well I actually yeah. couldn't sing the problem was I'd rehearsed two Elvis songs to yeah. sing and then the day before they said we can't get the copyright for you to sing the Elvis songs for the television programme you're going to have to sing something else I'm like well it's an Elvis impersonator you know so I had to learn another completely different song and I chose Spirit in the Sky <laughs> because they could get the copyright for that. So. so you were supposed to be a dead Elvis Presley singing Spirit in the Sky Aye. rather than an Elvis song. Yeah. Can can you do an American accent? No, it was really shit. So it's, you, it's you were a Geordie dead Geordie Elvis. Elvis. But the thing is, my problem, what, the, the angle where I was coming from was the best Elvis impersonators look like Elvis, they sound like Elvis... When you see them, it could be Elvis. So what's the point in that? You get more fun watching a really shit Elvis impersonator. The worse they are, the more entertaining they are when they're really, really crap. I know what you mean. So that that's the angle I was going for. But the problem is, people thought I was really, really crap. Not just pretending to be crap, yeah. So it didn't work on that level. And I probably was quite crap. So, um... Yeah, uh, that was my Elvis impersonation thing. I got booed off the stage. And I had a coffin on stage because I came out of a coffin with smoke. <laughs> and and um, what else did I do? I can't remember. I had a, an exploding toilet, but I didn't get the chance to use my exploding toilet. What, on, the, uh, on stage? On stage, yeah. so you made, you made an exploding toilet? Yeah, actually it was a bit dangerous, so it's probably good that I didn't use it. It had like a mortar in it <coughs> that fired a pyrotechnic. And we tested it in the back lane. It cracked the, uh, the, the cistern. Not the system, the, the actual ball of the toilet. The f- explosion was so violent. And was the idea that you were going to sit on the Sit on and pull the chain and it would, like, it would just sort of blow up. It would have probably blew me bollocks into the audience. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have thought so. Is you were going to sit on a, on, a, on, a, on a toilet with a mortar inside yeah. in front of a Channel 5 invited audience. Yeah, but actually it was quite good because I think it worked yeah. as a piece of theatre. Yeah, experimental sure, theater. sure. I never performed the act again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it does seem like you've you've sought out weird people and you've sought out and you've deliberately done weird things and you yeah. have a, a real interest in the weird. And uh, I mean, I, I can identify with that. Probably, I'm not probably not to such a, such an extent, but I think that it's great that you know that 
that people are exploring these areas because yeah. there is so many people just exploring the main the mainstream yeah. I mean do you sort of are you disinterested in mainstream stuff generally like mainstream art and mainstream music I think yeah because t- to be honest you know if you go to an exhibition you've seen it all before it doesn't matter what it is sculpture or paintings or if you go to see a film generally it's like well yeah you know, or a show. Sometimes it's good to see something that's really completely different, or sort of challenges it in a way. Or I don't know. It's because this artist I'm going to do some stuff with. She does like live taxi dermy shows, yeah. which is like nobody does that. Yeah. And it's like it's got a really small audience. But in a way, that's a shame because where could you see that? You know. And hopefully, if I learn taxi dermy myself, I can put on my own shows. The problem is, though, it's like will people come and see it you know but sometimes I think if you've got a small audience that really love it love what you do it's better than having like mass wide appeal yeah although you're never going to really make any money well yeah that's that well yeah you're not <laughs> so the thing is some people you have to decide well do you have to do it are you going to do it for free and keep the day job or try and go mainstream which is like I don't know and well you you seem to be not you don't really have a day job and you're doing the weird things. I mean, you seem to be making it work. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I've got so many different things. I'm supposedly starting college in January. If I get on the course, I'm doing a, an MA in script writing because I've, I've always been a writer, but I need to have that focus because yeah. my energy goes in so many different areas. I've got so many different things I want to do and it's just finding the time to fit everything in. I found this bloke up in, I think, Welland Garden City who teaches ventriloquism. That's something I've always wanted to learn. I've got lots of books about it, but you can't really teach yourself. You need somebody to show you. you Yeah. So hopefully at some point I'll do that, you know what I mean? But I think someone with your kind of taste for the weird can probably manage to make a, uh, a, a horror movie sort of thing that could be mainstream. Do you know what I mean? There is a weird kind of moment when weird things yeah, get get, get yeah. accepted by pop culture do you know what I mean like yeah. you know like well think of like how zombies are everywhere now I it know. used to be something kind of transgressive and it's probably not transgressive anymore I, know. I, I think I would probably make an art house zombie film if I was going to do one <laughs> yeah no I, I've got a, an idea for a zombie film I want to make it's funny because I started making a zombie film a few years ago and it's, it's all more or less finished but I just haven't edited the film it's called I Suck Your Guts it's about a time travelling zombie so I've got Nazis in it and stuff but I just need to edit it together and I lost about 60 minutes worth of tape I just left it just must have fallen out of the camera and left in a field somewhere oh no so um, I guess I mean I'll just wrap it up quite soon but the what I was going to ask you is why massage therapy um, massage therapy it's funny yeah because it doesn't seem to fit with it. like everything else it makes sense like everything else is quite weird but massage therapy maybe it's weird but it's it's one of them skills you can do anywhere really and uh, a friend of mine used to work go into offices in the city and do like shoulder massages and get like 30 quid a time so it was like it was useful in that way but what I wanted to learn was um Chinese cup therapy, you know, when you get them like glass balls and you put fire in them and stick them on people's back. <laughs> sex yes, yeah, now it fits. Yeah, I'd like to do that. So, but uh, I needed to get the, the this certificate first. 
but some people take massage therapists on tour with them, like uh, Bono. Bono, when he goes on tour, he has yeah. his own massage therapist, and the Stones, they've they've all got theirs. So I was thinking, oh, that'd be good. Yeah, I yeah, have yeah. a job like that. Massage therapist to the stars. Yeah, but I, I'm starting another course this weekend as an NVQ examiner. Again, right. That that's going to last six weeks, so I'll be able to go into colleges as an NVQ examiner and basically tick boxes for subjects that I know about because I did television and video production years ago in journalism so I can t- not teach but like tick the boxes. So you studied both of those things? Yeah, this was years ago in the 80s when I was in Newcastle. So was that at college or was that at Yeah, Gateshead Technical College. Okay. Did. Actually I, I did stuff for the BBC years ago like radio interviews but you only got like 30 quid for each interview and we, we had to use like tape. Not this, Not this fancy stuff. So, yeah, yeah you'd have like a U or tape recorder, then I'd have to edit on another machine and you'd cut the tape, and it was like a oh, big, big hassle. <laughs> wow, well, like talking to you, it's like a kind of jigsaw puzzle of strange things, uh, which I, I really appreciate, and it sounds like you're enjoying that jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, I think some, I was standing in a queue once uh, at Barclays uh, cash point machine and somebody ran up to us, a tourist and he said oh excuse me can I take your photograph and I looked at him and he said because I believe life's about experiences and different people you meet and at the time I had like red hair and stuff and it looked a bit weird so he took me photograph and then disappeared and I was thinking yeah it is about different experiences and people you meet rather than chasing money or jobs or security in a sense it's better if you can just do as many things as possible and meet as many different people as you can so well that's a philosophy i really uh, agree with i mean that's one of the things i'm doing with this show is meeting as many different kinds of people i mean they will have to be someone i know but i like the, <laughs> i like the more the, the the wider variety the better and hearing their experiences yeah. is really valuable and, I, and i'm all i'm very into trying think like as a writer i often call myself a method writer because i like to uh to do the thing i'm writing about like if, if i can if it's legal and etc obviously i'm if i have, if, if i ever write a book about a murderer i haven't murdered anybody but you know yeah, it's, yeah. it's it, i think it like sometimes it, it's, if you want to write about experiences the best thing to do is to Just have them yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been really fun getting better acquainted with you, Tony. And the last thing I ask people to do is, well, the last thing I say to people is, do you have anything to plug? So, um, no, actually, um, just just my magazine, Meat Plow, and Meat Plow's your 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 fanzine. Does it have a web presence? Or? Uh, it's on Facebook. I haven't got a website yet. That's right. I think I follow it. Yeah. Yeah. Because to be honest, there's so many different things if you need like a website a twitter and like, god that's just yeah 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 it's a lot of it's a lot of hassle and and i as someone who's done it i can't say it's fun uh <laughs> yeah yeah um well wicked okay so meat plow on facebook yeah. or and how do they buy it from you if they, if they it, don't go it, on facebook? you can get it on amazon or where else say ebay sometimes sells it but i remember to list it <laughs> all right okay well I'll look on amazon and ebay for meat plow and this episode uh, episode Issue one's just gone out, is it? Yeah, yeah, issue number two will be out in January. So is it like quarterly? Yeah, I'm going to do it quarterly. I did want to do it monthly, but it's just so much work. It's no, it's just, hard. Yeah. Did you ever see? Did you ever read? Like, um, oh, what was it called? Alan Moore made a like a fanzine. Oh, did he? Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it had like seven. Oh, I've got all of them. I've got all of the. Oh. But it's one of those. You know, when you get a mind block. Oh, um, yeah. But. Yeah, yeah you, sh- you should check it out because 
he he really tried to make it like a fan. He, he, he you know he had like Stuart Lee and all sorts of people like that writing in it and right. weird cabaret stuff and like the weird stuff like that you like oh, in yeah, it as yeah. well. And the idea was it was supposed to have like a local pull out that people would make in different places. So he'd send oh. them the thing and they'd put the. But after a while, it uh, oh, yeah. it didn't make them any money. So obviously, Alan Moore can afford to make a loss. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah. uh, after a while, he. Uh, he, yeah, he had to same, stop. Yeah. But it, they were they're really good. I check them out. I would advise. Well, you could advertise in my fanzine if you want. Oh yeah, no, no, I, I will actually. I would like to. I, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll talk to you about that off mic sometime. About uh, good, yeah, next yeah. time, stand up tragedies coming. That sounds like a good good thing to advertise in your mag. Yeah. Um, brilliant. Well, it's like I said before. It's been really great getting better acquainted with you. The last thing I ask people to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Well, audience, uh, hopefully you've, uh, you've not been bored listening to my ramblings and uh, hopefully I'll uh, speak to you again. Yeah, sure. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much, Tony. Cheers. See you later. Bye. Bye. So, Alan Moore's amazing magazine that I forgot what it was called. It's called Dodge and Logic. I, I love it. I've got every copy of it that was released. But for some reason, in that moment, my mind couldn't remember that piece of information. Tony Hickson's second edition of Meat Plow has come out. Stand Up Tragedy, which we were talking about at the beginning of the episode. It's starting back up again in December. We're going to be having Tragic Christmas on the 12th of December at the Dog Star in Brixton. And we're also going to be launching our fanzine. The Stand Up Tragedy fanzine will come out every month at our live shows and our live shows from now on are going to be themed and that's going to be the same theme as the fanzine and that's going to be coming monthly through 2014. But we're starting off with Tragic Christmas at the Dog Star and it's a fundraiser for the amazing organisation Arts Emergency. find getting better acquainted on twitter at gba podcast you can find it on facebook it's getting better acquainted have a search on facebook and like it or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk you can also subscribe by searching on itunes and subscribing to us that way and on the stitcher smart radio app you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the app store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.